Hello and welcome back to another episode of Our Generation On Air. I am Alex Bullimore and there are two huge games to talk about this week. Uh, firstly, we will look back on that brilliant, possibly season-defining win, according to <laughs> our friend Lucas, uh, against West Brom. Uh, then we will turn our attention to this week's uh, away game at Coventry before talking AFCON R's and Sierra Leone's upsets. And then finally touching on a transfer rumour because it is January and we cannot let five minutes pass without going through some stupid rumour mill. Uh, joining me to discuss all this is a very reliable duo of Dan Lambert and Micah Chudley. Guys, welcome. Very Hello. Right, uh, let's cast our minds back to Saturday, a rare 3pm kickoff. And it didn't disappoint, did it? It was a good game. No, I didn't. Um, good game. Um, good win against a, a playoff playoff contender. And, no, and a last-minute winner as well, so it doesn't, doesn't get much better than that. Yeah, Micah, what do you think? Yeah, really, really great win. Um, although we did laugh at Lucas for calling it season-defining, it did, it did feel like one of those kind of marquee performances that you look back on at the end of a season and you say, you know, this is where things turned around. But uh, all in all, I think it was a really good game. And uh, I think we just about deserve to win, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, the atmosphere was fantastic, uh, specifically in the second half. I mean, well, majority in the second half. It was a bit frustrating in the first, and I think we'll touch on that in a bit. Um, but let's have a look at the sort of lineup. David Marshall made his debut, as we all expected. Um, you know, that he was quite sat safe, wasn't he? Apart from one moment. I don't know whether he made the save, but it went across the goal line somehow and it didn't go in. Um, but he was comfortable, wasn't he? Didn't do anything sort of too spectacular, but just a good, solid performance from the keeper. And yeah, I think that's go on, sorry, Mark. No, no you're right. you go ahead. Um, I thought it was a good performance. I mean, I'm sure we'll touch on it later. I don't think he got tested to his potential, but I mean, his distribution was good enough, his shot stopping was good enough. And like you said, he had that one moment where. I think the ball came in the box quite low and driven and he managed to get a touch on it that hit, um, that made it go past the other post. Um, there was a deflection on it, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But apart, apart from that, he, uh, he was solid as, as solid as he could be. Yeah. I think what we said last week was maybe sort of unsure about his uh, distribution quality, but I saw nothing that should worry us on Saturday. In fact, I thought he was slightly quicker of getting the ball out than Senny is usually which I think is a bit of a positive. Certainly one moment he rolled the ball out quickly to Dunn and he wasn't ready for it. So uh, he seems excited. He seems ready for it. And, you know, like we, like we expected, he's a pretty solid keeper regardless of his age. Um, would you say that until Chair and Senny return from AFCON, that's our first choice team, the one that played on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, with with a couple variations, maybe I think you know, the 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 front two or front one, whatever we play with, it does seem to change from week to week depending on the opponent. But I, I would say for the most part, I would probably probably would be our lineup. Yeah. And what what did we make of the first half performance? As I said, it was a bit 
the atmosphere wasn't as good um, as the second half. But what did we think? Was it a bit of a typical QPR first half? Probably. I think it was cagey from both sides, if I'm honest. Um, I don't think we created hardly anything at all. Um, I don't think we were... Um, I thought we were defensively solid, though, first half. I don't think we were tested all too much. I think it was the first 20 minutes we were a bit shaky on the ball, or the first 10. I think they um, they pressed us quite well, which obviously we knew was going to be the case. But now, apart from apart from the lack of chances created, I thought it was a quite a cagey affair. What's the... It's difficult to say, because this is a... This may be a really hard question, but what do you think the problem we have with first halves because we always the game plan seems for us to be sort of survive to a certain extent the first 45 minutes getting at half time Warburton either shouts at them says something whatever they have their special drinks or whatever and they come out in the second half and they batter teams so you know why can't we do that from the first whistle um, so, solve, solve all of QPR's problems okay I don't think I can solve it. I don't (laughs) think we intend to start the first halves badly. I mean, some of the, I don't know off the top of my head the games, but there's been some first halves where we've definitely deserved to go in front. We've definitely created a load of chances, but we just can't put the ball in the back of the net. And I mean, under Warburton, that's been one of our stories of his tenure, really. Um, I don't, with with the second half, obviously, the squad's a tight-knit group. The character can't really be... um, questions in the squad so I can understand why we're coming from behind a lot of the time but I don't know what is exactly with the uh, the sloppy first half starts. Micah is there anything that you sort of might be able to put your finger on or is this too much of a difficult question? It's hurting my brain my brain isn't big enough to answer this question to be honest um, I don't know what it is because we, we've been this has been a topic on the pod for like the whole season now, why do we start games so slowly? I don't know why. I don't know. And it doesn't seem to be that much of a problem because we end up winning. But I've got to address it sooner rather than later. That's that's all I can add. Yeah, I think the for opposition sides, if I don't want to don't really want to give give them a free game plan, but really you've got to try and not two, three goals past us in the first half because no matter what's happening, we're coming at you in the second half ridiculous levels and we'll probably get a goal in the end and that goal might lead to two so you know for teams that come and play against us specifically at home I think it's a little bit better away from home we kind of we're more accepted to you know because you don't have to play as attacking away from home you can sort of sit in a bit more hit on the counter and whatever but um, yeah it's a really weird thing that is quite frustrating because I feel like me and my dad say it to each other before every game and just turn around and go, wouldn't it be nice to have a comfortable win today? Something like a 2-0, 3-0, where we just dominate from the first whistle. But it never is that easy, regardless of how fun it is to support this uh, current QPR team. So the first half, I thought, was a bit too frantic at times. Like you said, it was a bit cagey, trying to move the ball on quite quickly. I thought Johansson in particular tried a few too many one-touch passes which didn't really come off and it was it was causing a bit of frustration and I think in those situations it's wise to maybe just take a moment and have a bit of extended possession 
just build something a little bit slower than usual, perhaps through the defence and midfield, rather than trying to force force it a little bit. What do you guys think? Yeah, I was thinking that as I was writing my notes up before we came on, I did notice that in, uh, well, really in both halves, but in the first half especially, it did seem a little bit hit and hope at times. We kind of didn't really play through the midfield the way we normally like to. Um, I felt as though as well, it was a bit weird in that we were either holding on to the ball. This is how I saw it anyway. We were either holding on to the ball too long or we weren't moving the ball quick enough. We just weren't getting that balance right. And um, in the first half, especially, that was just perfect for West Brom because West Brom are going to press you. They are going to be aggressive and they're going to try and get the ball forward. I'm not really sure what he changed at half time because we still were quite direct in the second half. I'm not really sure what changed. I feel as though Willock just came alive a bit more in the second half. I thought um, Sam Field was excellent as well on Saturday. I just want to give a little bit of praise to him because I felt like it's been a little bit of a slow comeback for him from injury. It's been a little bit inconsistent, a little bit hit and miss. But I think on Saturday, um, that performance was the sound field of last season. Just sat in front of the defence, making tackles. He was a little bit careless in possession, but I felt both him and Steph were a little bit careless at times. But um, really solid performance uh, from him. Um but yeah, it's 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 a funny one with us. We never quite seem to get the balance right with our passing, and then when we do, we look unstoppable. So it's another one of them weird dilemmas that we have at QPR at the moment. I feel like. Yeah, uh, Dan, you mentioned West Brom's lack of creativity. Really, they never felt like they were threatening too much throughout the first half, despite them probably being the better side and the balance of play. A lot of shots going wide, a lot of crosses. I mean, we think that we have a bad crossing record. They couldn't land anything in the box. What did you think of their chances and their chance creation? What, as a game or in the first half, just in particular? Oh, in the first half mainly, but as a, if you want to, you can talk about the rest of the game for them. Um, well, in the first half, they obviously lined up with it was Grant and Robinson behind Phillips, which I thought was a bit peculiar considering an Ishmael side like typically likes to have a, a target man up top. I mean, they're all about quick transitions and getting the ball up to the well, up to a big physical presence, but Phillips never was that. And I thought most of their long balls were either straight directly over our defence and we could just regain possession or um, Dunn would win a, win a header. So that, that didn't really work that sense. But I thought when DK came on in the second half, which I'm sure we'll probably touch on, I thought obviously the Barbe incident aside, I thought he had a he had a pretty pretty good game. He made a big impact for that link play at least. Yeah, let's go right into that now because you've mentioned Jimmy Dunn, he was excellent. You've mentioned Johan Barbin, you've mentioned DK. So you've got the pantomime villain there, you've got the hero, and then you've got the guy who's gonna head everything to shit. Um <laughs> so when DK came on, he, he won there was a flick on that he won and I thought, oh, here we go. We're in trouble because <laughs> he looked really good straight away. Um, but he did decide to try and kill Johan Barbe uh, and didn't get booked or didn't get a red card for it. So explain that one. Well, it was 
wasn't it for I, I don't remember exactly what happened before it. All I saw from my side was that he got he got shoved over by um DK and then fell straight into the I think it was head first into the advertising board and yeah. everyone started swarming, swarming around him from the well the bench. I mean, looking at it back, I think it definitely warrants a card. I'm not I'm not convinced it's a red card offence. I think I'd, I'd probably be happy with the yellow card, but obviously I was surprised that completely nothing was given. Um, even the fourth official was like directly in front of in front of where it happened. So, um, yeah, I'm a bit baffled why it wasn't at least a yellow card, but I'm not too sure if it's a direct red. The thing is with it is that um, obviously, you know, the physios went straight to Barbe because he was off the pitch. Normally you have to, you know, get called on and stuff like that. But there was a real urgency in the way that they moved off the bench, as is mm. the case, I guess, with physios. But it did kind of, it was something that struck me. Obviously he was quite, you know, relatively badly injured. He could have, you don't know what's happened to him in that situation. Um, I think, you know, from sitting in the South Africa road stand, I couldn't see what had happened, but we knew something bad had happened. And, you know, like, and you think that's so... That's such a dangerous move for him to be doing. There's no real need. He didn't gain anything from shoving Barbe out of play, apart from perhaps injuring one of our centre backs and meaning that we have to make a sub. And if you do, that's you know that's not really, uh, you know, I'm going to sound like a right melt, but it's not quite in the spirit of the game, is it? Like you know, trying to injure someone on purpose. Like, it, but it, it just it seemed like a really, really bad thing for DK to do. Um, but from Barbe's point of view, it turned him into an absolute menace. He was unstoppable. The he was he, Terry Butcher. He, well, exactly. He was very good before he got wounded. After coming back on, he was unbelievable. And he wasn't taking anything from anyone. And like you said, Dan, I'm surprised no one's made that comparison just yet with the blood coming out. What, what What's that quote that... Uh, Terry Butcher said, "This is my house." No, I, I don't know the quote. The sound like that he said, "This is England. This is my house. No one comes in to my house and robs." I was expecting to see like Barbe saying, "Loftus Road is my house, and <laughs> no one's stealing anything from it." I don't know. It's he was brilliant, wasn't he? Just that micro. But how how good was he? Come on, he was brilliant and. I have to be honest, I've criticised him quite a few times since he's been at the club, but he was brilliant on Saturday. He was brilliant. Like he he is a he is a he's a very you know modern day fancy ball playing defender. But on Saturday it was proper head it kick it stuff, wasn't it? Mm. Proper just head in everything. After that, do you know, I thought DK before that, I thought DK was getting the better of him a little bit. And then after that incident, suddenly the tide just turned. And it was he's just dominating him. He just dominated every every ball over the top, every set piece. It just didn't look like he was gonna let us concede on Saturday. I think that's a, probably his best performance in a QPR shirt Saturday. Yeah. And it makes I guess um, we've talked about his contract situation before. After a performance like that, to still not get any word on whether they're negotiating with him is it feels a bit strange, you know, but, but Maybe as fans, we expect a little bit too much. And after the experiences of Bright, Sai Samuel and Ryan Manning, the club aren't too keen to let every journalist and in-the-know person out there information about whether you know someone's getting a new contract or not. Um, mm. 
you know, keep, keeping it in house is probably more of a you know smart move because it caused a lot of upheaval last season. Those rumors. I think he'll sign. To be honest, I think he'll. I think everyone's getting a bit worried because of the Manning and Bright stuff, like you said. But I think I think he'll sign. I mean, I. I, I mean, the way he's playing at the weekend, how can you not want to yeah. stay? And the he looks he's, like he's loving it as well. Yeah, and you know the, the reality is. When he left Brentford, he suggested, I think, I remember a Brentford fan telling me at the time that he's left saying that he wanted to play in the Premier League and then obviously he turns up at Loftus Road and it's sort of like, what's happened there? Um, but if he is, is he really going to get a better chance to play in the Premier League? I mean, he could get an offer from someone, but like we're heading in the right direction at the very least. So just stay where you are, Johan, mate. Like, yeah. You're winning people over. Yeah, um, I don't know. You're putting me over, that's for sure. Yeah, he was absolutely nails on Saturday. Um, so let's look at the goal. I thought we'd used up all our sort of bad refereeing decision chips with the Blackpool one, but seeing we had one more bank there, I mean, it's not really a refereeing decision, is it? It's a linesman's mistake, but he's offside. Doesn't matter really, but he is offside. And if we were. You know, if that happened to us, the dismay and outcry on Twitter would have been huge as per mm. it was after the Sunderland game when we were robbed. And you don't really need to, I don't buy this sort of like West Brom needs to appeal essentially. It's not like you're playing cricket, you don't need to appeal for an offside. And the linesman should just see it. I could see it straight away. I was convinced <laughs> he was going to lift it. But what do you guys think about the goal and deserved? Don't care. <laughs> Just don't care. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm actually happier that it was offside, to be honest. Don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, it happens. We've, we've had our fair share over the past five years of bad decisions, and we've never got any good ones. Uh, not good ones, never got any wrong decisions in our favour. So, don't care. Great cross from Willett, though. Great cross from Willett, a little bit off balance, a weird place to cross the ball, but he's dug it out of that little corner, that little bit of def- space between them two defenders, just dug it out and found Austin at the back post. His um, transfer value is shooting up every week. Um, yeah, happy, very happy with it. Dan, do you think that, you know, taking away the fact that it was offside, just imagine that it was a, you know, we got the goal, whatever. But did we deserve to get that goal based on our performance? Um, yeah, I think we deserved it, especially in the second half. Um, what I found interesting was, I think Austin touched on this post-match. Obviously, like Mike said, it was from the back post. Um, but every time I saw a cross come in on, that, well, on Saturday, I'm pretty sure we always had at least one person free on the back post. So it almost felt like it was not, not coming, that specific goal. But I think Austin said that, he saw from the bench that Wallace in the first half, especially was uh, was free at the back post and he thought he'd take a gamble and um, get between, I think it was Furlong. Um, and obviously he got a free header on the ball and that's got a lovely goal. Yeah, and it's important to note that Austin has the most league match winners in the top four leagues since 2012-13 season with 26 goals. Wow. That's seriously impressive. So, you know, when you have a player of his quality and sort of awareness for where to be at the right time, 
perfect, isn't it? He's got not necessarily, you know, he's got the match winner here. And it, I know it wasn't a match winner, but, you know, you think back to one against Barnsley as well that sort of dug us out of a hole. What more could you want from, from your strikers? Um, last thing on that goal, I think he, the linesman knows it's offside, but he just thought it's not worth my time raising the flag here because he looked, me, me and my dad, we sit right sort of opposite the six yard box in South Africa road. So we could see the linesman straight away. And my dad was saying after the game, he thought that he saw the linesman's flag start to sort of rise a little bit. And then obviously the noise and everything, I think he just decided it wasn't worth hearing the whole of the stadium serenade him as a C-U-N-T. So, um, you know, that's just the way it is. We got lucky. Uh, not sorry, not sorry, West Brom. Uh, but do you think this game is going to be one that we look back on in years' time, regardless of what happens at the end of the season, and sort of just realise how lucky we are to support, support this team and watch this team in their full flow and just, you know, think what an amazing atmosphere and what an amazing day that was. Yeah, sure. Definitely. I think there's, I think there's many games in fairness this season that we can look back on. I mean, this one was great, obviously, a last-minute winner and stuff, but I think the squad as a whole have done this, what, nearly nearly week in, week out, coming back. Great great bunch of lads. Yeah, I think, I think this season as a whole will be one that we can look back on in a few years' time. I, mean, I think the think... difference, though, I think the difference with this result compared to like us beating like Bristol City or whatever, is that I think coming into the game, there was a lot of question marks, like, oh, QPR are good, but they got beaten by Fulham, got beaten by Bournemouth, they beat by West Brom last time. Can they really mix it with the big teams or are they just making up the numbers in the top six? And I think this result was kind of like, a, actually, no, like QPR, uh, you know, QPR are actually going for it this year. QPR are actually going to try and get promoted this year. They're not just here for a playoff semi-final and then they'll disappear next year. QPR are actually, QPR are actually about it this year. Yeah. So I think that is the difference. Yeah, and, you know, Dan's right, thinking of the sort of purely games with last-minute goals category. You've got Derby, Preston, which was a fantastic atmosphere and release of frustration. Um, <clears throat> Reading, of course, as well. And Bristol City. So, you know, you've got four or five games there where we're fighting to the very last. Because I th- the, the Reading ones in particular, I thought we were losing, we, we were going to lose that. No, I was like, no way, we're coming back. No, got you, the second you think goal. About, That's nice. But, you know. You think about the, um, we just listed there how many points we'd have got off just from those last minute winners. It's got to be near double digits, surely. Well, or three from Derby, it. three from Bristol. So, yeah, it would be 10. From those games, yeah. So I, I mean that, but that's the difference. What between probably us and fourteenth, fifteenth, something like that. Yeah, which which is which is massive. But, yeah, and uh, hopefully we've got another good game coming up this weekend. It's another away trip up to Coventry. Four thousand fans potentially going from QPR, which is unbelievable considering how you know. Lots of people seem to be going these days, which is always nice. But, um, you know, a couple of seasons ago, we probably would not get anywhere near that. I think I went to Preston on the opening day of the season a couple of years ago. Not opening. Would it be opening day? Yeah, it was. First first game under McLaren. It was a very underwhelming performance. And um, 
you know, there wasn't many people there to enjoy it, if that's the right word. <laughs> but yeah, 4,000 fans going is fantastic from us. But let's look at Coventry. What can we expect from them? Dan, you're usually quite good for previews. Um, I haven't watched too much of Coventry this year. I'm just going to put that out there to just start with. Um, seeing as you've um, presented me as, as I'm going to know all about them. But, um, I mean, they got off to a great start, didn't they, um, at the start of the year? And then recently, I think, well, they've had COVID problems as well, but they've taken a little bit of a dip. So I think they were they were probably in the top six for about half a season at least. Um, I mean, they've got some good individual players um, in a Mark Robbins side. Callum O'Hare is obviously one of the main ones. I think he's just been signed, signed a new contract, um, which is good business from them. They've got, well, I think Matty Godden's on on a bit of a goal-scoring run. So, obviously, he's one to look at. 18 games in all the competitions. Got the stats to, to back it up for me. Yeah, top scorer. Um, Don't worry, Dan. I've got yeah. Um, they've got quite, um, Victor Goyker, as I quite like. Um, they got him from Brighton. Yeah, yeah, good player. Very good good with his feet for his, for his build because he's quite a uh, quite a tall, stocky, um, stocky striker. Um, and then obviously the midfield too is something that catches my eye. I think they've got Hamer um, and Ben Sheaf. Obviously, Hamer was very good last season for them, but um, Ben Sheaf seems to be seems to be quite key for the way they play at the minute. And then obviously they've got Todd Kane at the minute, who's obviously we don't a lot of our fans don't particularly like for the, the interview that he did. Um, what but interview? A few... <laughs> <laughs> But a few, a few um, Coventry guys I know actually say how how well he's been doing for them of late. Probably one of their best players. So um, that'll be interesting to see. Well, the thing is with Kane is that he never really hit it off with the QPR fans, did he? Um, and I guess he's gone up there for points proof. And if he's doing well, he's doing well. Fair play. Um, I never really disliked him. I just didn't think he was very good. Uh, <laughs> So, I think with, with your... This is going to come back to bite you. I know. I, I, I risked it with Robinson last week and Grant, and it paid off. <laughs> God. Jesus Christ. Sorry, Michael. No, I was, nah, was going to say that. I think if you come to QPR with like any Chelsea affiliation, you have to hit the ground running. Otherwise, that is going to stick with you. Just keep I your head like, down and like be a yeah. decent... But then, like you know, co- replying to John Terry on Instagram and stuff like that and... Being yeah. his best mate, that was sort of like, yeah. Well, you're not. You're just digging yourself your own grave. He never seemed to try and like get himself out of it, did he? He tried to just sort of make it worse for himself, regardless of his on pitch. Yeah. Um, oh I'm glad you brought up Jaikres, Dan, because having a look at the stats, he obviously had a fantastic start to the season, and that sort of was coupled with uh, Coventry's good form. He scored nine in 24 games in all competitions. But he hasn't scored since in the league, since their 4-1 win over Fulham, which was back on the 2nd of October. So, you know, that is roughly the same period of time between three o'clock kickoffs on a Saturday at home for QPR. So just, you know, think of how long we've waited for three o'clock. That's how long I've been waiting for old Victor to get the ball in the back of the net again. So I don't think he's been starting all them, in fairness. I think lately they've been going, they've been playing a two two tens behind a striker. And obviously, like um, 
you said with Godden um, on a bit of a goal-scoring run, I think he's been leading the line and they've got Jamie Allen and um, Callum O'Hare in behind. So I don't think he's been given too much of an opportunity. Michael, you were going to say something there? I was going to say, when Guy Carres, to everybody listening, when Guy Carres inevitably scores a hat-trick on Saturday, I want everybody to tweet at Alex Bullamore and just say thank you. Thank you for that, Alex. You jinxed us. So, no, I don't. I, I try my best, you know. <laughs> but, you know, Lucas claimed we were going to get promoted last week with, and didn't even think about it. So, no, it's just... He didn't even out. hesitate. That was the crazy part. Yeah. He just... No hesitation, just said it. He'd been thinking about that for a while, hadn't he? Um, <laughs> like, the thing is with, with Guy Craig, they're just like looking at their, like, always have a look at their, the opposition's top scorers. And he, he was someone that really did impress me when, regardless of the fact that he didn't score against us at home. I just, you know, one, I was surprised to see that he had only scored nine. And it kind of made sense when I, once I thought about it because they've not you haven't really heard that much about him since that sort of time when they were beating Fulham and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I'm no statistician, but I just thought that was something interesting to bring up. Uh, but they are sort of struggling for goals um, across the side. They've got 11 different goal scorers, but they've got, they're all quite low. I think Kane's got a few. We've got 13 uh, different goal scorers in all competitions in comparison to 11. And, you know, if you look at each player, we've seemed to have scored more each time. Uh, they've last time out, they beat Peterborough 4 1, and that was their first league win since beating Bristol City 3 2 on the 6th of November. So, again, you know, clearly struggling a little bit for form. We- over the next five games, we'd probably say that this would be our hardest game on paper. Again, is like the West Brom game. It's a good opportunity, though, isn't it? It certainly is. Um, like you said, obviously, bad form. They're still, they're still up. I don't know where exactly they're at the table at this time of recording. I think they're... Ninth, played 24, won 10, drawn 7, lost 7. How many, off, how many are they off the playoffs? They are five points off the playoffs. So they've still got a point to prove despite the bad form. They'll still go into this wanting wanting the three points. And, um, they've got a couple of games in hand as well. On you probably yeah. argue that they're overperforming as well, getting in anywhere near the playoffs. Yeah, I, yeah, I think I think they are. But um, they've probably been, well, under Mark Robbins, he's done a fantastic job for them. So they, they, it's probably no surprise that they're underperforming. Um but no, it, you'd think that we, we should get the win from this, from well, from my point of view at least. Yep. And let's just finally touch on the starting eleven for us. Away from home, do we still go with two strikers? I think that's the main sort of debate. Everything else is pretty much nailed on. But would you make any changes to the team that played against West Brom? I keep I keep it the same for me. Um, I still still agree. I mean, I... I think I still saw some criticism of him after Saturday's game. I don't think what he he could have done much wrong after after Saturday. But no, I personally I keep it the same. Micah. Yeah, probably there's I may, maybe Austin for Dykes, but I, again I, I don't really see much of a need to change it to be honest. Okay, so moving on from Coventry, uh, Afcon is still. Uh, going on at the moment and we still have players in the tournament. Chair is starting 
as tonight for Morocco. Um, and they, I think they've won twice, haven't they? So they're already through. Yeah. Um, have you met? Is is it what anyone managed to catch any of Afcon so far? Specifically, the games involving our players. Uh, do you know what? It's funny. I've watched quite a bit of it, but I don't think I've watched any QPR. Oh, I've watched both Senegal games, to be fair, but I didn't see Aussie for Sierra Leone the other day, and obviously Chair hasn't played for Morocco yet. Dan? Um, I've caught the odd game, I've come, but none of our players. Yeah, I think I've managed to watch a bit of the first Senegal game. Um, I think, And they have qualified now. They've finished top of that group. They drew nil nil today, but it looks like Senny's done. Senny's work is done, by the looks of it, because Mendy is back from having COVID and went straight back into the side today, as you would expect, considering that he won the was it FIFA Pro Goalkeeper of the Year award today. You can completely understand why Senegal are picking him over Senny. Um, but I'm glad to see Chair starting. It would have been frustrating sending him out all the way out there, perhaps with an injury and not him, you know, featuring at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, good to see Chair starting, and hopefully, I think the game kicks off well for tonight in just under 20 minutes. So we'll see where it how it goes for Ilias. The big news, though, really, well, whether I don't know, big news is two shocks for Sierra Leone during with Algeria, the holders, and then coming back from... I think they were 2-0 down against Ivory Coast, weren't they? Yeah. Um, that's a, not necessarily the... I mean, you know, for us, Ivory Coast are probably one that we would recognise them as, in our lifetime, being one of the better teams in Africa, especially with their sort of golden generation and that. Yeah. Um, some fantastic players playing for them in the past. And they've still got some pretty decent players. Zahar, uh, Haller up front, who scored plenty oh, of goals yeah. in the Champions League. Uh, they got Aurea as a captain at right back, I think. Yeah, Aurea's there for them as well. They said, do you know what? They're a few people's dark horses this year. Um, Ivory Coast. I think Algeria and Morocco are probably the most fancied. Uh, we'll see if Algeria will even make it out of the group tomorrow. But yeah, it's a good result for Sierra Leone, definitely. Very good result. It'd be really ironic if, after all that time of the golden generation, Ivory Coast managed to win with a significantly worse team on paper. Yeah. But <laughs> so is the ways with golden generations. Look at look at England, look at Belgium. Like, doesn't always work out, does it? But... Let's focus on Ozzy. I haven't really seen him much. I think I watched a bit of the first game and he was he was actually on set pieces for some of the free kicks. <laughs> so that was really interesting to see. Uh but yeah, really happy that he's got he's been part of these two fantastic results for his country and that he's playing from what I saw, he's playing well. So, you know, linking up with X QPR player Stephen Corker at centre-back really good to see Kakai doing well and just out of curiosity I assume you haven't seen the second goal that Sierra Leone scored I haven't well if you can I would urge you to find it because it is it's pure AFCON in both good and bad ways Uh, the ball 
is, I assume, played over the top. And the keeper for Ivory Coast looks like he's going to claim it quite easily. And he does. But then his knee gets jammed into the turf and the turf gets dug up with his knee. And so he kind of gets stuck, drops the ball. Stephen Corker then emerges out of nowhere on what I can only assume is one of his sort of end of the world runs starting at centre-back ending up at striker and causing problems with the structure of the team but this time it works out because he manages to square the ball to the Sierra Leone player that eventually scores who is falling over as he's taking the shot and manages to just lift it over two Ivory Coast defenders to send it into the back of the net Um, the highlight really is the look on the Ivory Coast goalkeeper's face when he realises what's going to happen it's hilarious and heartbreaking at the same time because you know that he's not going to be able to do anything about it and you know it's not really his fault because his the quality of the pitch sort of disintegrated around him but yeah definitely go and look up that goal because it is unbelievable um moving on from Afcon, there's been plenty of uh transfer rumors we're getting Pretty close to the end of January now. We've only made the one sort of enforced signing so far, but we have been linked with a whole host of players and each day they seem to be getting more and more ridiculous. Today, I see, well, we weren't really linked necessarily, but a certain rubbish newspaper suggested that Tarat is going to be leaving Benfica and and loads of people on Twitter, decided that we should sign him again. Uh, we're not going to talk over Tarat because it's rubbish. It's a rubbish suggestion. I don't think it's really worth our time even talking about it. But the one that did interest me was Dean Sanderson. So, guy, do you guys know much about him? Do you want to explain sort of where he's played so far? Um, well, I know, I know a little bit about him. Uh... Obviously, a centre back. Uh, I think he's twenty-one years of age. Um, a lot of QPR fans are most recently known for his time at Birmingham. Obviously, played his final game for Birmingham against us when we beat him two-one. Um, he had a loan spell at Sunderland last season, I believe. So obviously, he's taken the step up quite well, and he's got a good championship experience. He's a ball-playing centre back, um, young, obviously, which doesn't fit what's been through middle month about Warburton wanting a, an experienced centre-half, um, but that might not be on the cards at the minute. So uh, I quite like Dion Sanderson. I think it'd be a good good fit to our system. Obviously, I said he, he's a ball-playing centre-back. He likes he does like a, a long diagonal pass, like a bit like Barbe. Um, but no, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be happy with him on our side. Michael, what do you think of him? Yeah, I don't know an awful lot other than the basics. Obviously, I, I heard about him at Sunderland last year. They seemed to quite like him at Sunderland. Um, and obviously, yeah, Birmingham this year, he played his last game against us. I think it's interesting touching a little bit on what Dan said about uh, Wolverton had been saying all month, hadn't he, that uh, we were looking for a bit more experience at the back. Um, and it was Steve Cook, and obviously Steve Cook, as we know, Went to join uh, not the Forest's squad of a thousand footballers, but um, Harley Dean was linked as well. 
And that seems they seem to have gone a bit quiet on that. So I do wonder if Warburton has just kind of admitted defeat and just said, look, we just need the numbers more than the experience profile per se. I wouldn't be angry with it uh, at all. Wouldn't be angry with it at all. Um, from what little I know of him, he is a good player and he would fit our system. Um, but yeah, yeah. I do, I do wonder how our season will pan out without that little bit of added experience at the back. Well, uh, yeah, the, this was suggested by the Daily Mail. This is where the stories really come from. Uh, and specifically uh, the da- Daily Mail Sport Online. Now, you know, I'm not no fan of the Daily Mail, but their online section seemed to be a bit more weird than the actual newspaper if that's the right way of putting it so i don't know how trustworthy this is but they seem to suggest that he could be going out on loan to a championship club after being recalled uh from his loan at birmingham and it's ourselves and bristol city not nottingham forest this time um who are interested in taking this player on loan um my problem with this rumour basically is kind of what the guys suggested. We've wanted an experienced centre-back throughout this whole transfer window. And he's not, I mean, he's got some experience, but certainly not the experience that we were looking for. Um, Wolves, I imagine, will probably want him to be playing week in, week out. And none of our centre-backs are playing poorly enough to be dropped at the moment. So he's not going to go straight into the side because we are playing fantastic at the moment. Um, Also, to add to that, Device is back in training, as Warburton said in an interview recently. So with Device coming back, I imagine he wouldn't be coming straight back into the side either. He might play the odd game here and there so he can rotate the side. But the the actual stress on his body, the amount of game time that he's going to have to play is going to be lower because mm. of the performance of Dunn and Barbo and Dickey, because that is our best defence or best uh, centre-back trio. And it's shown, you know, the fact that this is uh, something that Jack Saffle put up on his Twitter page just before we came on. No championship side has conceded fewer goals from set pieces, excluding penalties, than QPR this season. So that's how well we're performing. You wouldn't necessarily associate that sort of stat normally with a QPR side, or certainly not a Warburton QPR side, because the defence has probably been the most frail part of our game. But that's how, you know, partly due to uh, Jimmy Dunn coming in, partly due to device at the start of the season as well. But, you know, we're, pl- we're playing well enough. We don't really need Sanderson to come straight in. Regardless of that, I'm sure, like, from what I've heard from you guys, he sounds like a decent addition, so it wouldn't be the worst thing on, on the right wages. But I just feel like it'd be unlikely, specifically around that game time sort of thing. That's why I wonder if Wolves would even loan him to us because I'm sure I'm sure I read that Wolves took him back from Birmingham because they want to loan him to a team that's sort of competing at the higher end of the championship. But then it's kind of like, well, there's one thing him being at a team that's competing. It's another thing him actually playing. It's like, would, why would Wolves send him to us if he's going to be like a just another option? He's going to be fourth choice. Well, fifth choice. If fifth yeah, choice he'll be. If that, yeah. Because, you know, you've got to invest in device, haven't you? And I don't want to yeah. become sort of... I don't want it to be part of the deal where we have to play him in a certain amount of games and we're having to drop yeah. players just to avoid paying a fine, essentially. Um, 
So it's an interesting one. I think it's certainly the position that needs to be strengthened at the moment. I'm not necessarily so worried, really, about number 10. I think Willock's performing admirably by himself. And, you know, if he really wants to, he can move Johansson up there and sort of remodel the system a little bit. I think um, that, I think the number 10 thing is more of a, if we lose chair, have we got a ready-made replacement? Because I've seen Jack Rodoni, I've seen, obviously, Matt O'Reilly's going around on Twitter. I'm not sure how real that one is. Um so something that got put in the chat while we were um while we were on our break, Harry Vaughan from Oldham. Does anyone know any he's 17 years old? I don't know anything That's about that. Way him, too young, isn't it? Like yeah. it's ridiculous. That is I 17 think, years think, old. Like yeah, that is we at, joked about Rodoni being the same age as Lucas. 17 is the same age, I'm pretty sure. That's it just says we're it just says we're interested with Bruce Yum and Gladback, Real Sociedad. Burnley have got a bid in. I don't think that's a that'd be one for the future. That would, I don't think that'll have any direct yeah, correlation yeah. with our number. Yeah, 10 but I think that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. In that, I think the tens that we're looking at, if you look at the age of all of them, none of them have been older than 21. So I think the idea is that the whoever we try and buy as a ten, whether it's in January or August, it's more of a long term thing more so than a come in the team right now, which makes sense because, like you said, Willock's Willock's doing fine there by himself. So. I don't hate that. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe, you know, obviously I'm not saying that we never need to buy another, t- another 10 again, but, you know, like if chair does get moved on eventually, uh, you can buy accordingly then when there's probably more options for less uh, money transfer wise and, you know, just would be a smarter move. It's always easier to get a job done in the summer than it is to, in January. You got um, Louis Sibley. You got Louis Sibley at the minute. Four hundred and fifty grand they've rejected. I, I personally, I'd be all over that. I think he's a good enough player. Would he he's want to player. be in the first team though? Sorry. Would he want to be in the first team? Well, he hasn't even featured for Derby much, and I think when he broke out of the team with under Koku, I thought he was he was brilliant. He had potential to be Premier League player in the future. I still think he's got that, but he, he, I'm sure it will get game time. We've we've got. When we've got a full, fully fit squad and chair back, for me, Warburton prefers two tens and a striker, not two strikers and a ten, because we play yeah. much better on the ball. We're able to keep the ball a bit more, and we, we're we're less reliant on going and playing direct. So I think I think there will be opportunities for Sibley personally, because as much as Chair and Willock are our first team number tens, at some point you're probably going to have to rest one of them. So I, I do I do think that Sibley could could work for us and we've seen we've seen players that haven't performed in other systems that have come into an attacking system and have flourished and I think he could be one of them. So uh, personally, I'd be I'd be all over that and try and get him for a cheap price. Okay, and uh, I'm going to put you both on the spot. Obviously, we've identified the centre back as a position that we probably do need to fill at the moment. Any suggestions for centre back? Phil Jagielka. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I understand that, I've, you know, it's difficult off the top of your head, but, you know, the, the Harley Dean one, I think, was universally disliked from QPR fans, not because just because he played for Brentford, but because he's not quite the standard of our other centre-backs, really. Uh, and it's a bit of a... I don't know whether there is much truth in it because it's, you know... W- I know Warburton does like to give jobs to his ex-players and stuff like that, but 
it did seem to sort of be two two and two together with that one. Um, but is there, you know, it, you know, if this Sanderson thing does turn out to be realistic, you know, or if we see it from West London Sport in the next couple of days, then are they, like you said, Mike, are they admitting that there's not really at the moment after Cook being moved on, is it, you know, there's not really an option out there because we're not going to get two Fulham players that we want. I think it was just Hector and more uh, Hector and Mawson, isn't it? Mawson. That we, like, want. we could offer them as much, well, not as much as we want, but we could offer them a, we could go as many bids as we want, really. And they're not going to give it to us because we're rivals for promotion. So it's that again, that's not necessarily us failing from a transfer window point of view. And that's why, you know, as fans, I know we want to know everything, but sometimes the club just has to be silent on these matters and that we don't get all the information that we want. But I'm guessing from the vacant looks on your faces that there's no real centre-backs that you can think of. It's like you said, January is a bad time to buy, isn't it? It's a really bad time to buy. And we're in a weird position in that we don't know what league we're going to be in next season. So do we go and splash on a defender or do we just play it safe on a short-term option? It's, it's It's a weird situation. I did have I did have one off the top of my head. I mean, uh, Harry Darling from um, MK Dons. Obviously, he is a young centre back ball playing would suit the system well. But like Mike said, I don't know whether we want to. I think they report it'd be a a million plus probably for him. It'd be it'd be I think it'd be a long term gamble. But with Warburton one in the experienced centre half, I can't really think of one off the top of my head that that we that I, I like to be honest. Okay. Raided this summer, goodness me! You've got all the good young players down there, MK Dons. Mm. Yeah, they're they're, they're well, well run club, aren't they? Okay, well, there'll be quite a few people that will be annoyed that you said that <laughs> MK Dons have seems to be widely hated for obvious well reasons. Franchise. We should have said well run franchise. Well run franchise, correct. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that is all we have time for on this podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Just a few things left to say. We are still without our first rating on Spotify. So please do give us a rating on the app. The Our Generation Twitter account as well is just under 2,000 followers. Please give us a follow to boost that up to that magic round figure. And you can, of course, subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and on Google Podcasts. All of us are on Twitter. Please follow all of us. I am at Alex Bullimore 3 Dan is at Dan Lambert underscore. And he also has a brilliant substack called Playmaking 8, which you can find on his Twitter page as well. And finally, of course, Micah is, can be found at underscore L-I-B-A-W, which stands for... Life in blue and white. And he is going to be posting new content soon. So till next time, thank you very much for listening and come on you us.